0: This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM.
1: This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life: work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project, and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman.
2: Laura Huang is the author of Edge, Turning Adversity into Advantage. Laura is the MBA class of 1954 associate professor of business administration at the Harvard Business School. Prior to her position at Harvard, she was a highly regarded assistant professor of management at Wharton, and we miss her. Her research examines interpersonal relationships and implicit bias in entrepreneurship and in the workplace. She's the creator of Hashtag Find Your Edge, an initiative dedicated to addressing inequality and disadvantage through personal empowerment. Her award-winning research has been featured in the Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal, a bunch of other outlets. She was named one of the 40 best business school professors under the age of 40 by Poets and Quants. Laura holds degrees in electrical engineering from Duke University, an MBA from INSEAD, and a PhD from the University of California at Irvine. In this episode, Laura and I talk about how hard work actually doesn't Speak for itself in that success is really just about the quality of our ideas or our effort. Instead, achieving success hinges on how well we shape others' perceptions of our strengths, certainly, but also our flaws. And this isn't just at work, it's in all the different parts of our lives. It's about creating our own edge by confronting the factors. That seem like shortcomings, difficult as that is, and turning them into assets that make others take notice. It can be done, and Laura's research helps us understand how. I hope you like the Work in Life podcast, and if you do, please subscribe, tell your friends to do so, rate it on Apple Podcasts wherever you listen. So others are more likely to find it and use it and perhaps have some fun listening. So now, get set to listen to and learn from a scholar whose research demonstrates how to transform adversity into advantage. It's Laura Huang. Welcome to Work and Life.
0: Hi, Stu. How are you?
2: Well, I'm all right. It's it's great to be speaking with you. Um,
0: you too.
2: So, thanks for joining us. Let let us start with uh, your meeting with Elon Musk at SpaceX. <laughs> <laughs> what did you learn from that conversation?
0: Yeah, so that was a really interesting sort of uh, experience because you know I go into this this meeting that I had serendipitously gotten. Uh, one of my friends um, had found a way to get on Elon's calendar because we were, I was studying private, the private space industry, the emergence of the private space industry at the time. And so he and I were having this meeting um, um, to, to talk about SpaceX acts and um, what he thought about the, the future of, of private space. And so this friend and I, this friend of mine and I, we were ready to, um, to meet him we had done a ton of preparation we had uh, we knew the ins and outs of spacex as well as tesla as mm-hmm. well as all the other companies that he had ever started um we had like a list of well researched interview questions you did your homework we did our homework and we even had a gift ready for him right and so we meet him and we're so excited about this and then we he, he um
2: you had a gift? No, like, like what kind is of is gift? Like a bottle of wine or something or what? No,
0: yeah, we had this, um, well, we had this um, gift which was a product prototype for, for this that we thought his sons would like because he has a number of sons. And, and yeah, hmm. so we were ready to kind of give this to him, which okay. we thought he would think was really cool. Um, and, you know, we were sending there um, greeting him and then he looks at us and he says, get out. <laughs> and we're like, what? And he's like, no, get out.
2: So no, get out. How, that's that's yeah, how he greeted you.
0: That's pretty much how it went. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, but it didn't so that end was, that way, did it? No,
0: no. So that. So was what happened, that
2: happened, and what did you learn from that exchange? Yes.
0: Yeah. So, um, so you know, I we like we were sort of shocked, right? We didn't know what to do at that point, point. and so um, I was like, I didn't know whether I was supposed to say like, okay, thank you for your time, just <laughs> turn around and leave. Um, but instead, in my nervousness, I just started laughing, like giggling, as a nervous, like a nervous schoolgirl, and um, and you, then, he,
2: what, what did he, that sound like, Laura? <laughs> so you're laughing at the fool who was throwing you out, Elon Musk.
0: Right, right, pretty much. And so then he he's sort of stunned because there's this woman laughing at him, and so then he started laughing. Mm-hmm. Um, And in this, like, exchange of laughter, I realized that he wasn't looking at us. He was actually looking at the gift we had brought him.
1: Mm.
0: And I realized that he thought we were entrepreneurs trying to pitch him and get his access, access to funding or access to somebody in his network or something like that. Um, And so I sputtered out in my laughter, like, you know, something along the lines of, oh, oh, you think we're entrepreneurs? You, you think, and he's like, aren't you? And I was like, oh, no, we're not trying to pitch you. You think we want your money? And he's like, don't you? And I said something along the lines of, like, no, we don't need your money. What, like, you have money or something? Like, something along those lines, <laughs> which he then thought was hilarious and then invited us into his office.
2: So, and you ended up I, staying for an hour and, and chatting about the things that were important to you. What does this have to do with Edge?
0: Yeah. So, what this, I mean, what we sort of learned in this, right, is that you can prepare. You can prepare a lot. You can mm-hmm. put a lot of hard work. But sometimes you just don't have the opportunity to show the value you're going to provide or how you're going to mm-hmm. be able to enrich your interaction with somebody else. We thought we had a lot to share with him, like all this research that we had done and helping him with things with private space. But we didn't even get that opportunity because people make assumptions, people have perceptions, people make attributions of us. And it sometimes doesn't leave you the opportunity to even use the sort of things, the, the hard work that you've, you've um, you know, that, that you've worked so hard to, to show the other person. Um, and what I learned was that sometimes you need to get that opening. You need to be able to flip things in your favor, get that, that, that opening or that entree or that entrance so that they'll take you seriously and then you can show them. How you would enrich so uh, you, define you define and
2: edge you define edge how ed-
0: um, so edge is actually um, a framework that I have developed over the last you know sort of decade of my research and and speaking with people who have faced a disadvantage and edge stands for um, E the first E is for enrich that's how you enrich and provide value um, D is for delight which is getting that opening. If you delight someone like we were able to do with Elon, that's where you get that opportunity to show where you enrich and provide value. G is for guide because you have to continue guiding the perceptions of others. And the final E is for effort and hard work. And that comes last because Mm -hmm. we often think that it comes first, that hard work will Mm -hmm. speak for itself. But in fact, if you know how you enrich and delight and guide, that's when your hard work works harder for you
2: so this is counter to uh, a lot of the common wisdom which suggests that well if you just you know keep your nose to the grindstone and and do you know you do the work that needs to be done by way of preparation and uh, you know the pursuit of excellence that all all good things will come you're saying no Yeah,
0: I mean the thing is some people naturally have an advantage and other people don't mm-hmm. and the reason why some people naturally have an advantage is because we're driven by interpersonal um, interactions, where things are—it's about signals and perceptions and the stereotypes of others. And mm-hmm. you know, and through through a lot of my research, what I found is that we can actually create an advantage for ourselves when we don't naturally have one, and we can do that when we flip these stereotypes and obstacles in our favor and create. Find and create our
2: own edge, and that's what we're going to be talking about here in this hour. Now, knowing you as I do from your days here at Wharton, I can confidently say that you, Laura, you have an edge, uh, and Aww. that that's something you that too. is beyond. You let me finish. <laughs> uh, beyond, beyond just like your, the skills and effort and and connection. So, so how did you discover, or how did you how did you come to make this the focus? Of your research how in other words has having an edge matter to you in your own life and career
0: well so it's mattered to me both personally as well as in what I've what I've sort of studied and I can talk about the second first and then go a little bit into the first but okay. you know I think for the last decade or so I've been studying um, people who do have people who have a disadvantage people who face adversity, people who are underestimated. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been studying, you know, entrepreneurs and who get funding from venture capitalists and mm-hmm. investors. I've been studying who gets the big promotions and um, gets hired into top level management positions. And with finding there's all of these disparities, right? There's certain people who are overwhelmingly getting the funding while others are not. There's people who are overwhelmingly getting the, the positions and the, um, and the plum projects when others are not and a couple of years ago it just started getting a little bit depressing right all of these disparities that I saw um, all of these sort of inequalities and disadvantages that some people face um,
2: which also, you personally were likely on the uh, downside of correct
0: yes yes that I had personally been sort of through my life had kind of faced as well um, and, you know, people would say, like, well, what can we do about this? And so I I started studying how we can flip things in our favor, how we can empower ourselves to level the playing field. Mm-hmm. Because you, we have these systems, and we know these systems are imperfect. We're trying to change these systems and create more merit- meritocratic systems.
2: When you say but, systems, what are you referring to here, Laura?
0: You know, just sort of our culture, the way that organizations are set up. You know, we know that there's... We know that there's sort of issues, and so we're trying to, to level the playing field. But even when we do so, um, they're not always going to change quick enough, and they're not going to always change in the way that, that we think they might mm-hmm. or that they should. And so this was really about how people can empower themselves from within the system mm-hmm. um, and, and not have to wait around for everything to be completely meritocratic. Yes. So we can confront it as it is. And not passively let others write our narrative, that, that we can write our own narrative and guide others' view of of you.
2: So, Laura, how has this been important to you?
0: You know, it's I, I always say that life rhymes. And what I mean by that is we have these we experience these things in our life where you know, maybe when we're younger, we experience something, and it didn't. We don't know exactly what was happening, but there's some feeling that we got, or something didn't quite sit right. And then later in our life, we experience something else, and it reminds us of that same feeling or that same sort of instance. Um, mm-hmm. And we have these situations all through life that sort of repeat it themselves. Um, and it's because, and we start to really notice that. People are making judgments about us or have perceptions about us in in certain ways, and I'll give you an example. Um, when I was when I was really young, um, in third or fourth grade, um, I was you know we take these standardized tests in school, mm-hmm. and I had scored extremely high in um, on the math and the English or language arts sort of standardized tests, and the teacher sort of was surprised and said like oh, well, your scores would warrant you, would, would, you know, kind of dictate that you would have to be in our school's gifted and talented program. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of was like, oh, okay. And, um, but then the, they, they were having this conversation, She was having this conversation with the principal, and they were both agreed that, like, this couldn't be right. There was no way that Why? these test scores were right. What? Well, I didn't know yet. I was still sort of young, and mm-hmm. I wasn't sure what was happening. And then they, they sort of were like, okay, well, we're going to have you take another test in both math and English to see if these test scores were right. Hmm. So I took a test again on both of these subjects, um, did really well, and high enough score to warrant being in the school's gifted intelligence mm-hmm. program. And they said something this just can't be, like because usually – um, students were identified for gifted and talented by the teacher. It wasn't based on test scores because nobody ah. had scored high enough to to get into the program based on that. It was all based on teacher recommendations. I see. So they brought my parents in. Well, what was it
2: about what your teacher saw that the tests picked up or and that the teacher didn't see, actually?
0: So, you know, what's interesting is I still didn't know at that point. But what I realized, mm-hmm. what we found out was that after this meeting with my with my parents, mm-hmm. they said, you know what, we're going to put her in gifted and talented because we have to. It's state mandated based on our test scores, but just in math, not in English. And I was the first person who ever was put into gifted and talented for just half, right? And so they would pull me out just for math and not for... And so, you know, as a child, I didn't really know what was going on, but... You know, it was, you know, I was seen as this young Asian girl, you know, school girl. And they sort of said, well, your English can't be good enough. You're mm. not, you don't speak English. So that
2: was the bias.
0: Yeah, that was a sort of bias. And so they were like, well, allow it for math because you're Asian. You must be good at math, but not mm-hmm. at, not in English. And I had a similar situation in high school. And then I had another situation in in college, my first year of college, where I was in this university writing course, which was a required course. And in our very first assignment, writing assignment, I I scored really poorly. I got a really low grade. And when I asked the professor, he said, well, you shouldn't be upset by this because you don't speak English. And that's what this course is going to do. It's going to help you become better at speaking english
2: but but by so, this i mean but you were able to speak english i am certain right <laughs> so why would why would this professor say that to you
0: because people have stereotypes yes. based on perceptions and the attributions that they make and so mm-hmm. these this is the sort of life rhymes moment where i realized you know i will always have people making perceptions about what I'm good at, mm-hmm. what I'm not good at, and what I can do, and what I can't do. And this is sort of a, you know, I mean, we all have this. We all have, it doesn't matter. You know, I, I also like to say everyone has something. Everyone you
2: know, has we, something.
0: Everyone has something. Amen. I to think that, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean... We we tend to think of the usual cast of characters, things like gender, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, class. But everyone has something. It doesn't matter who you are and how privileged you you may seem based on traits. Just normal, you know. But people are making perceptions and making attributions about you. Fast. And they fast. And they change based on the context you're in. They change based on who else is in the room. They change based on who your counterpart is, Mm -hmm. their background and experiences. Mm -hmm. And it's a reality. And it's something that we need to be able to understand.
2: So that's what uh, Elon Musk made an initial, immediate impression. Said, oh, they're here to sell me something. That's it. I don't have time for this. Get out. But you had to find a way in. But it starts, let's start uh, with where it starts, which is... You know, if, if you're interested in gaining an edge, you begin with the basic goods, right? Yes. Tell us about basic,
0: that. Yeah, the basic goods are, you know, another way to sort of say it is like, what are your superpowers? What are your basic, what are the basic things that make you who you are, right? What are the two or three things that really make you who you are? These are the things that you'll tap into time and time again when you think about how do I add value? Okay, so how what are yours, Laura? Yeah. So, I mean, one of, I think you can talk about them in terms of traits, mm-hmm. right? For example, so, you know, the traits that are biggest to me, I mean, loyalty is number, is probably like loyalty, integrity, compassion. Um, and what I mean by that is like these, these basic traits is like everyone has different traits if we think about it in terms of that, Um and you can flip out, you know, you can take out the compassion piece. Like, I've always been this person who, like, you know, the story when I was little was um, my my mother got this phone call from my teacher. And um, and she said, you know, I got to let you know that Laura was really upset today. She was crying and she was really upset. And my mom was like, what happened? Oh, my gosh, what happened? And she's like, oh, she's fine. She didn't get hurt. But one of her, like, one of her classmates got hurt. And Laura saw her classmate in pain and started crying because she felt pain for this classmate, right? It's this compassion and empathy. empathy that,
2: so yeah. that's, that's one of your superpowers?
0: Yeah, but you can take somebody else, right, who is really loyal and, 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 and has a lot of trustworthiness and integrity, and they mm-hmm. don't have the compassion. You flip mm-hmm. it with up, something else. And it's a completely different person. Um, so these are like, you know, we, but, but that's just based on like sort of traits. Mm -hmm. It can be, it can be lots of other things. It could be like, you're really great at tennis or you're really good with other people or, you know, and I also describe it as like, what are your basic ingredients, right? Like my Taiwanese mother, whenever she starts cooking, she always has sesame oil, soy sauce, ginger, scallions next to her and it doesn't matter what she's creating she can create lots of different dishes but those are like the basic ingredients that she has right my italian um my italian husband he always has you know olive oil ginger um you know red wine like prosciutto di parma like for tasting right like like those are the um, ginger those huh? are the, what's that ginger
2: that's interesting
0: I say, oh I garlic did i say ginger you did that's my mother. Garlic is my husband. Ah, okay, good. I'm glad I
2: <laughs> clarified that because yeah, that yeah, was yeah. confusing, Laura.
0: <laughs> no, but you know you. I get it. Ginger for the garlic, and you're, you're a different type of cuisine. Uh, there you
2: go. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. Some um, kind of fusion. That's,
0: that's really how it. That's really how it goes, and so you can create lots of different things. But what are the basic goods that you go back to?
2: That's so it starts with getting sort of doing a, an inventory, maybe asking others, uh, but really fleshing out what is most distinctive about what you bring right absolutely your strengths
0: and your weaknesses it's um it's it's both both of those things
2: can can you tell us what the main one is that you're aware of in yourself that you're willing to share with us
0: like like moving beyond sort of traits like one of the things is i've always sort of been an outsider i've never really been an insider in any sort of situation that i've been and even Mm. when i Make it into the supposed alleged inside. I still sort of have this outside outside view of things. Um, you know, and and that's something that has been both a weakness but also an underestimated strength. And so it really mm. is about like what it means to turn underestimated strengths and weaknesses upside down so you can succeed in both business and in life.
2: So how do you do that? How do you identify those strengths that are those strengths that other people see that you're not aware of what's what's the first step that one must take to to discover those latent or hidden uh, Superpowers,
0: I always say that everyone can do this, but not everyone is willing to do this So the first step is this willingness to do this and the reason why not everyone is willing to do this is because it takes a lot of humility and embarrassment to be able to get to a point at which you are Are able to really see you and also see how other people perceive you based on their backgrounds and experiences right it's one of those things where a lot of times when the stakes are high especially when the stakes are high and we care a lot about something and we do something that's wrong and we're sort of embarrassed that's when we're most likely to say okay never again we're never doing that again too painful ourselves in that situation it's Mm -hmm. too painful Um, but the willingness is to know that you only build up those patterns, you only build up your intuition around how to guide the perceptions of others when you're willing to put in, when you're willing to be embarrassed, when you have that humility to continue learning and and and, and not put your guard up.
2: And what do you find is the most difficult hurdle that people have to overcome to get to that frame of mind where they're willing and thereby able to see themselves as the world does.
0: The fundamental, the the fundamental hurdle is that we are taught from a really young age that success is about hard work and that hard work will speak for itself. Um, and oftentimes this leads us frustrated because we see somebody else who is working just as hard as, as us, um, or, you know, we may be working even harder than that other person, but we see the success and the rewards going to that person. The other is when we, you know, we've all been burned before, right? We've all been burned by others who have, you know, stepped on us or mm-hmm. people who have, you know, um, to, to gain a little bit of advantage in their own lives. They're, they've been willing to, you know, severely impact other people's lives for the worst, and you know, I when I ask people this, when I ask students this, like it's so it's amazing. And we all, within like seconds, can can come up with um, situations or people that still it still bothers us. We still have a chip on our shoulder about these situations. Make us bitter, and it makes us jaded. And mm-hmm. these are things that we remember, and we're not always willing to. Um, you know, put that aside.
2: So, what and does it take to to overcome that unwillingness? It's really what's the spur, the is, catalyst that gets you beyond yourself, that resistance.
0: It's asking yourself, "Is this making me bitter, or is this making me better?" And how do I let this make me better? Um, when you when you start to empower yourself to let it make you better and not bitter, that's when you start to see progress. When you see progress, you start to have more hope. When you have more hope, you start to put in more, mm-hmm. and then it's. This, um, it's this virtuous cycle that allows you to really find and create your own edge
2: uh, Laura let's get back to edge and, uh, and and what it means to once you've got a better sense of what your superpowers are what you bring to the table your basic goods uh, what does it mean to delight, guide, and effort uh, the, the D, G, and E of edge to uh, to bring the idea of turning adversity into advantage into your life.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I think the 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 enriched sort of, I mean, delight actually in some ways comes first because. We we absolutely need to know how we enrich and provide value, so that comes first in terms of our own personal journey. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of our interactions with others, a lot of times we don't have that opportunity. We don't have the Mm -hmm. opportunity to show Mm -hmm. how we can provide value within that organization or to that other person. Um, We don't belong to the right networks or the right groups, or uh, lots of different reasons. And delight is that way for you to get your foot in the door when you're able to. surprise that person or get noticed or have them see you in a slightly different way that sort of makes them take note and say, oh, like, I want to learn more about this person or, oh, that person isn't what I quite anticipated. That's when we really get that opening, that canvas to which we can Hmm. show how we provide value.
2: So is that is that the matter of delighting?
0: I mean, delight is like, it's hard to sort of describe, but it's really this feeling that we we sort of get, right? I mean, if you think about, for example, like the first time you took Uber, the first time you took an Uber, forget all the other stuff that's happened subsequently and things that we talk about in terms of the management and all of that other stuff. But like the very first time you were sitting in an Uber, it was this feeling of, excitement and like huh this is different and also being slightly terrified right um like i'm in a stranger's car how does he you know it's strange i'm in this person's car i don't know who this person is he or she's just gonna drop me off yeah i, I was where I'm anxious and like, confused yeah like you're sort of, but at the same time you're like this is kind of cool or at least i was i was like this is also really neat like I'm not gonna pay this person at the end they just are automatically gonna you know um, charge me and um, they the booking of it there was just these simultaneous feelings lots of of novelty um, yeah like novelty and delight there was this surprised counterintuitive sort of feeling that we had That's delight and we 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 have these experiences with with other people as well and when we have that experience it gives us opportunities um to it gives us opportunities to interact with our counterpart in a different way in so, a much more authentic richer way
2: so do, do you have guidelines for how people can under, understand to you know, what they can do to take what is distinctive about them and bring it to the world in a way that does create that sense of delight?
0: Absolutely. I mean, the first step is sort of really knowing how you, Mm -hmm. knowing those superpowers and knowing your basic goods, knowing, you know, your strengths and weaknesses, because when you know that you're more prepared to sort of improvise when these these situations come along. And I'll give you an example of this entrepreneur, who, um, his name is Osama, and he was trying for a really long time to get funding for his company, um, from especially from a, a couple of particular investors who really knew the industry and that competitive space really well. He knew that he could provide value to the investors, and that the investors could provide value to him, and that there would be this mutually beneficial type of relationship. So he had reached out to these this handful of, of investors. Um, one of these investors in particular um, was... You know, very quick to dismiss him. Every time he got an email, he said, like, I'm not interested. This is not, you know. And, but, but Osama kept trying. And why was he being dismissed?
2: Because um, his name was Osama?
0: No, I just think that, you know, for whatever reason, he just was busy nothing caught his eye he really osama just didn't have the opportunity to to um osama's french lebanese um i don't think in this particular instance it had anything to do with his gender or his race or ethnicity or anything it was just Hmm. this investor as investors do um have to say no to a lot of things and and so osama had been trying for months and get the attention of this investor one day he came he comes home and his girlfriend was telling him about was at this this networking event and was like yeah and I met this one guy who was like you know sort of obnoxious and he was like asking me out and like trying to impress me with the things that he was working on I kept telling him no and you know anyways here's his business is his business card I took his business card you know just to like tell him that you know maybe I would call him at some point and Osama looks at this business card and realizes that it was well. You can guess who 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 that business card mm-hmm. um, who it was. And so Osama says, call, in, "Call him and invite him to dinner." He says that to his girlfriend. Oh, no. <laughs> and so she calls him invites him to dinner. This investor shows up at their apartment, and he comes with a bottle of wine and flowers. And uh... Osama answers the door, and the investor is like.
2: Oh, not know, what I expected so he was delighted the the investor I'm sure was was feeling all kinds of uh, expressions <laughs> of delight bubbling up inside of him is that right, correct Laura?
0: <laughs> he, was, he was surprised. It was like comes in lots of different versions, but he was absolutely surprised. Yeah, I imagine Osama disappointed
2: is, might have been what he felt. But well, go on.
0: His girlfriend, his girlfriend was there as well. So Osama and his girlfriend invite this investor in for dinner, and they have an amazing dinner. They're laughing.
2: See that? They're
0: trading stories. Uh-huh. Um, and Osama had this chance to really get to know this investor and and vice versa and to this day that investor is one of osama's um you know mentors so what's, people that he goes to what's
2: the lesson you you draw from that episode
0: You have to be able to in have these improvisation almost improvisational ways that you know you take advantage of those when you when you know how you enrich when you know your strengths and weaknesses, you also get these opportunities to really surprise and delight, you look for those, and so, that 's when it that's when it allows you to but what was his special. what was
2: osama's particular strength or weakness uh, that that is illustrated in that example?
0: well, he had a really strong company he had a company that ah. was you know that that was um cash flow positive that was very much in the in the space, in like at the heart of what this investor came right. about, he just never had the opportunity. But the and opportunity
2: once- came from a strength he had, in the sense that he had an attractive girlfriend, right? <laughs> no. I suppose that's a kind of asset.
0: Well, you know, I mean, that's the you said it, not me.
2: <laughs> well, I thought that was the point of the story.
0: Okay, I should give you. I should probably give you a different example of delight. So that's not the. Huh. So that's not the ultimate lesson that that your your listeners go away with. No,
2: the lesson we <laughs> want them to take is that there was uh, something of value that he was bringing through this 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 new product, and had a, a serendipitous opportunity to 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 talk about it, to pitch it. Um. My work has been largely focused on the integration of work and life, and I'm particularly attuned, as we are on this show, to how uh, women, mothers, and now more, you know, frequently fathers, are asking for paternity leave or just more mm-hmm. humane or flexible, uh, you know, work conditions. How how do your concepts and tools about uh, enriching, delighting, guiding, and then you know, exerting the effort necessary to to make such arrangements happen. Um, how how do you think those your ideas can be helpful to to working parents as they try to flip the misconceptions and biases and stereotypes and judgments that people have about them? Because there is a stigma associated with you know alternative work arrangements, and uh, you know there's a lot of people out there who could use some guidance on how to. Turn those to their advantage.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of sort of stigmas, and these are precisely the types of signals and perceptions and cues that we have, that we that we build our decisions off of before we even have a chance. To go in sometimes and say, like, look, these flexible working, these, this flexible working arrangement would benefit us in lots of different ways, and might in fact even enhance the way that I perform or enhance the way that I'm able to um, do things for this company. We don't get that. We don't get a chance to have those conversations. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times, we um, we it, w- sometimes we don't even feel like we can have those conversations because we don't want to be seen as you know, strategic or managing impressions around things. We've seen other people that do that, and it feels like, you know, we don't want to be that person. But in fact, we when we recognize that people will have initial perceptions of us mm-hmm. and of our circumstances, mm-hmm. like being a new mother or a new father, regardless of whether or not we help guide them to that or not,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's when we're able to really redirect and take take control of it and empower ourselves. How would you do that? So so when you understand, for example, that um, the perceptions they may have of you as a mother or a new father Mm -hmm. is that you're going to be spending more of your time with um, your infant or that you're going to be not taking um, your role as seriously or that you're not going to be able to get things done at the same pace or in the same, like as efficiently or as effectively as you were before, you know, if you recognize that, you can flip things and you can redirect things in your favor. You can go in and say things like, you know, um, you know let me tell you about an instance where when I was working at home, um, I was able to actually attend to clients' needs quicker and more effectively and, and more efficiently than when I was in the office. Or here's an instance of where I was able to um, actually spend more time on an issue because Mm -hmm. I had, you know, and you do it in a really benign way. You don't say you, you you're doing it in a benign way where you're not saying, like, because I'm a mother, you think that I can't do this. Instead, you're taking those perceptions, you know, that you can't do this. And you're instead giving them examples of where, in fact, you can do X, y,
2: so, Z. so your your research suggests that it's not wise to directly confront the bias or the uh, the you know the the prejudice that might exist in the other, and rather uh, you know presume that it exists and provide examples or other evidence that that helps the other uh, person to to see you in a different light.
0: That's correct. It's much better to um, address it either indirectly or address the perception directly, but not be addressing in a confrontational way hmm. that, that more loaded and charged um, immediate perception. Look,
2: I right? know you Cause... hate working mothers, dear boss, <laughs> so let me tell you why you're wrong about that in terms of some recent <laughs> examples of how great a worker I am, even though I am also attending to my new child. You you would not recommend doing that. Is that what you are saying? Right,
0: because immediately, immediately, our faces are burning with. I know you hate working mothers. Like, well, I was that's being so... facetious,
2: of course, but yes.
0: Yeah, no, I know, I know, you love working mothers.
2: No, um... <laughs> well, no, I was. I wouldn't suggest that anyone would ever actually say that, but they would say it in ways that convey that message, right? So
0: that's right, because then it's um, you. You put the other person on guard. You mm-hmm. make that other person feel like they need to defend that perception, rather than having them. Rather than making this a um, a you know a a two way interactional discussion a win for both possible Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so Um, and when you yeah
2: no please continue
0: no I just think you know when you it's it's often in those situations that you get you get away from the issue and you get away from um, the possibilities and instead you um, you attribute it to a person you attribute it to you are somebody who thinks this. And therefore, you think all of these other things, it, which is different from, mm-hmm. you know, there. Um, this is something that you may believe, but I know that you're a varied and complicated person who can also believe other things. So is this the essence so of what I it means
2: to guide others to, to see you in a fresh light?
0: Yeah, it is. And it comes from both who you are as well as who that other person is. So the guiding is also recognizing that there's lots of versions of yourself, right? Mm. We, we tend to always give people this advice, like be yourself, right? You go into an interview, just be yourself. Or you're, you're going to be giving some big presentation, just be yourself. Or you're going on a date with somebody new, just be yourself. Um, What's
2: wrong that- with that advice?
0: It's actually horrible advice because there is no yourself. There are so many different versions of ourselves, ourselves. Right. Being yourself requires embracing the fact that we're really complicated and there's lots of different
1: versions mm-hmm. of mm-hmm.
0: of of ourself. And the way I always sort of describe it is, you know, you if you think of a diamond, right? We're all diamonds. We're all a diamond. And but if you look at a diamond from different angles it's going to shine differently. If you look at it from under different lights or in a different room or in a different environment, it's going to shine differently. And so when we say be yourself, it's like saying like, just be your diamond. Instead, we can guide people to the different angles and how our diamond shines differently from one angle than another or in a different in a different environment or in a different context. And that, of course, requires
2: that you have an understanding of how other people see you, right? And and you have an
0: understanding of what our diamond is. Like, what is our diamond made up of? What are the cuts? What are the angles? And how how does it shine in different light? And so then we can just, when we're interacting with somebody, it's the equivalent of showing them an angle in which it's going to shine the brightest.
2: You have to be guessing here, don't you, M- much of the time to, to try to understand how you're being perceived. So in, in, we just have a couple minutes left. So if you could keep this one brief, but what do you, what do you know and, and advise about how to, how to know the world around you better in terms of how you are perceived and the, and the biases that are affecting your access to support and resources?
0: It's not always that difficult. Life rhymes. We know these situations. We've, mm-hmm. we've experienced that. We have patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, these are our just, realities. We know how people see us in some situations versus see. others. And then the advantage is even when we're wrong, yes. when we're doing it in a benign fashion, when we're not saying, we're not confronting, when we're saying, here, just let me tell you about a time when I fought for resources for my team. Or it's not going to hurt. A time, it's not going to hurt.
2: All right. We're, in a minute, tell us about effort, because that's really all the, the, that topic deserves, right, Laura?
0: mean hard work effort it's critical
2: we all know this
0: yeah it comes last instead of coming first when we 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 all tend to put in the hard work up front and then hope that it speaks for itself Mm -hmm. but it comes last your hard work works harder for you when you know how you enrich guide and delight
2: and as a parent as a working parent um What advice do you have for how we can help the next generation develop uh, in a way that strengthens their capacity to feel good about themselves and express their distinctive talent or uh, value Mm -hmm. in the world in a way that is good for them and good for the people Mm -hmm. around them?
0: I've thought about this a lot, you know, because we are in this era now, especially where parents are fighting so hard to give their kids an advantage, right? We see instances where parents are trying to buy their kids ways into universities and colleges. We see even in a more, you know, in in a more toned down version of that, we see lots of parents trying to uh, give their kids extra tutoring, private coaches, exposure to lots of extracurricular activities. We see parents fighting so hard to try and give their kids a leg up on other people, give their kids an advantage. But that doesn't, it's not a sustainable and it's not as it's not an effective solution because then your your kids go into a different context or in a different environment, and they don't know how to fight their own battles. Hmm. So parents, instead of fighting to give your kids an advantage, teach them how to create their own edge.
2: Where do you teach start? Teach them how
0: to create – yeah, teach them – well, teach them how to create their own edge by – Allowing them to see themselves, how they enrich and how they delight and how they guide so that they can go into any circumstance or any situation and be able to create and, and, and guide the perceptions of others and really understand that context and know where their strengths are really going to shine, where their weaknesses are sort of underestimated and they can turn them upside down. Um, that's when they can teach them how to create their own edge in any situation.
2: What's what's the most important idea you want to make sure our listeners uh, keep in mind as they contemplate the idea of turning adversity uh, and misunderstanding about who they really are in the world to, to their advantage to be able to bring value to the world? What's the, the
0: most yeah, essential I mean, idea? I think. We, we tend to, I mean, this is a perspective and the more authentic and the more personal it becomes, the better it's going to be for you and the better it's going to work for you, right? Lots of people are like, what are the 10 steps mm-hmm. to creating my own edge? And I wish I could give like a recipe or a prescription for how to do this. But really what I'm presenting is a perspective. It's a perspective that allows you to then think and go back to yourself and your own essence and the more you do that and make it authentically yours the better and the more unique and the more powerful your own edge will be
2: it's like so much of what we talk about on the show uh, boils down ultimately to being courageous enough to look at who you are and how the world sees you and accepting that and uh, I guess, loving that in, in a way that allows you to uh, bring who you are to the various opportunities and challenges that you encounter.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: I wonder how that's going to be playing out in the uh, election season that we're in the midst of in terms of how people find their edge, because I'm sure there's a lot of thought being given to that now. But I, I'm not going to ask you to address that, but it's something uh, something fun to contemplate. Um is it particularly challenging last question here uh for for women to develop their edge in in the world of you know whether they're working parents or or just uh as 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 women in in modern society what's your take on that
0: I think it's absolutely challenging I mean it's it's particularly challenging in the sense that there are lots of variables Um, at play here. Um, But I, you know, just like everyone has something, I I do believe that everyone is facing these types of challenges. I think women um, and the types of um, barriers that we see women face in this day and age does present some unique challenges. Mm -hmm. um, And that's where it's super important. It becomes even more important that um, women are empowered to sort of write this narrative and change it from within as well.
2: Yeah. And your, your model is, is helpful in that way. Uh, and I appreciate your bringing it to us, Laura. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Where's the best place for listeners to find out more about your book and, and your great work?
0: Yeah, so my website is laurahuang.net, so lots of how-to's information there. We also have a guide to finding your edge, which is a separate sort of guide with lots of strategies and tips and how-to's, which you can also find through my website or through any of the social media sort of challenges. Laura Huang LA is my Twitter, Instagram. um, You know, I think I have one TikTok video.
2: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'm not allowed to go there, but okay. <laughs> thanks for letting us know about that.
0: Yeah. Laura Huang. But I'm not, I would say Twitter and Instagram and my website are the go-tos. Don't, please don't send everyone to TikTok.
2: <laughs> Laura Huang, thanks again for, for joining us on the show. really appreciate it.
0: Thanks. It was a pleasure.
2: Well, I hope you found my conversation with Laura Huang to be helpful. Perhaps... You're thinking a little bit differently now about what you've always thought of as your disadvantages in your work or career or in other parts of your life. So let me offer a challenge to you, an invitation to jumpstart your own process of sharpening your edge. Start with this. Identify your basic goods, as Laura calls them. Simple question. What's one way that you bring value to enrich what would otherwise be that people don't know about? And what might you do to change others' perceptions? Perceptions they might have because of some bias or other form of misperception, so that the result would be that they do indeed find out, that they know what this value is that you bring. I'd love to hear what you discover from this analysis and whether it leads you to get smarter about capitalizing on your superpowers. So get in touch with me. Directly, Wharton.upen.edu or find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, Wharton Business Radio. Tune in for on-air broadcasts of Work and Life on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern. For more about this episode's guest and about... Previous guests visit workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and share it with your friends, your family, your coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio,
0: please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.